It is March 30th, 1955. We are at the RKO Pentagious Theater in Hollywood, California. We're also at the NBC Century Theater in New York City. Blah, 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 blah. Bob Hope is presiding over Hollywood. Thelma Ritter is presiding over New York City. And it is time for the big winner of the night, the best picture of 1954. The envelope, please. And the winner is... On the Waterfront. Uh, shocking. <laughs> Just I mean, shocking. It had quite <laughs> a few nominations. 12 nominations. Uh, this is now the third movie to win eight Oscars two years in a row. Both this and last year's Best Picture, From Here to Eternity, mm. both walked away with eight Academy Awards. Yeah, this is... Uh... Uh, this is, the, you know, you don't usually see big sweeps two years in a row. You know, usually it's something that happens like once every few years. Yeah. Like five or six years. And this is, uh, I mean, if you think about it, in the modern history, we haven't had a true sweep in a while. Oh my gosh, I know I'm trying to think and I'm like, um, Slumdog Millionaire, that one, like, eight, didn't it? I think that one won eight Oscars. Lord of the Rings, I know, that one won 11. That won 11, Yeah. I think that was the um, last one to win a bunch. It did win, yeah. Slumdog won eight. So, I, I mean, like that's over ten years. And oh, yeah. you think about the other Best Picture winners in the last decade, and you got, like, Spotlight, which won, like, you know, what, three? Two or three, two? yeah, thank you. Yeah, not very um, And, you know, uh, this last year was... Um, Parasite. <laughs> Parasite, thank you. Which won four... Yeah, right. four or five. It won a lot, yeah. It won a lot, but I'm just saying like that uh, five seems to be the maximum as of late. But I mean, it's understandable, too, because when we get to talking about On the Waterfront, it is one of those undeniable movies, you know? Absolutely. It is It is an achievement in filmmaking and acting as well. It's, yeah, it's... It is the definition of another best picture movie. There's really, you know, I think this can be one of those years again where you and I don't really have a lot of fights in the best picture race. It's, it was, it's, it only makes sense that on the waterfront one. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, anyway, so let's just dive, let's just dive right into it. There is a lot to talk about this year. Uh, yes. One of the most controversial decisions of all time is housed in 1954's Oscars. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll we'll save that. We'll go over, uh, if you're wondering about Best Actress, don't worry, we are going to get to it. We're just going to go over the other categories. Uh, spoiler, On the Waterfront won everything. <laughs> um, so in keeping with your theme, though, of upsets this year, yes, the Best Actress race, huge upset, but I would also say that Best Supporting Actor is equally upsetting in my eyes so why don't we start there okay um so the winner is edmund o'brien for the barefoot contessa yes edmund o'brien had uh, been around for a while had made quite a few film noirs um it's a it's one of those faces where if you look him up you might not know his name but you've probably seen him in quite a few movies mm -hmm. um but he was up against uh some three different actors from On the Waterfront, um, along with Tom Tully for the Kane Mutiny. Poor guy. Uh, we got Lee J. Cobb, Carl Malden, and Rod Steiger. Yeah. I would argue of those three, Carl Malden is my favorite. Okay, I was actually going to ask you which of the three would you have given the Oscar to? And Carl Malden, that makes sense. 
Um, I think that though him just winning an Oscar for A Streetcar Named Desire only a few years previously in another Aaliyah Kazan film, I think that kind of takes him out of this race just a little bit uh, where I would push Rod Steiger and especially Lee J. Cobb in front of Carl Malden. My personal favorite would be Lee J. Cobb to win this Oscar. Okay. Mainly because mainly because Rod Steiger gives other brilliant performances later in his career when he becomes kind of a, a leading character actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee J. And Cobb also has fabulous roles as well, but his other one, his other probably biggest role would be 12 Angry Men, I think. And this is kind of a similar performance to that, uh, but I think his performance... Uh, and Lee think, J. Cobb is the one who doesn't win an Oscar. Of a exactly, three. and so. that's why I kind of side with him in this yeah. one. To me, it's a really, really great performance where he goes back and forth between this kind of fatherly mentor role to Marlon Brando to being this evil tyrant, um, you know, mob boss essentially in yeah. charge of the Longshoremen's Union. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, I, I agree. I mean, like it's it's like comparing apples and oranges. All all of the performances in On the Waterfront contribute to the whole. Um, of the reason why it's a good movie. Um, I think that I just have this, like, soft spot for Carl Malden. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, um, he is, he you know, is with his, fabulous. his big old round nose. And, <laughs> um, you know, and he's just, like, he's so consistently good in so many films uh, throughout the 50s and 60s. And on through, I mean, on through the end of his life, you know, into the 90s and 2000s, he was performing um so he uh he's just one of my favorite um he's one of my favorite character actors definitely Um, and i i do think this is a case though of these three actors splitting a bunch of votes and then edmund o'brien comes mm -hmm. out victorious i i will tell you rance i i tried to watch the barefoot contessa i really did i got about halfway through and i just couldn't keep watching it's painful it's not a good movie it's really really not it's i mean you would think it would be right a mankowitz film it's got bogart in it it's got ava gardner in it it's it's not though it is essentially all about eve but then take away all the humor and all the wit that's what you're left with it's it's (laughs) almost unwatchable and maybe Edmund O'Brien is the best part of this movie but he's not even that great he just plays a sweaty PR agent and he's just constantly wiping his face down it's I don't know it's it's a little ridiculous in my eyes that he's triumphant over these three just brilliant um method actors in this you know grand achievement of filmmaking I don't understand it well you know I think uh the fact that he had been around for a while too and was respected, you know, that always plays a part in uh, winning these things. Um, it's either you have that that wave of goodwill because you're America's sweetheart, or you um, are given this kind of career achievement Oscar sometimes. Yes. And Edmund O'Brien had been around and been doing consistently good performances for a while and i think people liked him in general so oh it makes sense that he came through but um (laughs) but you know there obviously are three pretty brilliant performances that could have won instead um and you know the cane mutiny is also a good movie as well but um yeah that's an interesting one too that's kind of like a precursor to later disaster films like airports and earthquake and oh my god even like titanic you know these huge star-studded 
disaster film. This is kind of the, I guess, the template for a lot of them, it seems. Yeah, with uh, with all stars, too, because it um, yes. the top people in the Kane Mutiny are Humphrey Bogart, uh, Fred McMurray, mm-hmm. um, Van Johnson, who was a movie star at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, Jose Ferrer. What's interesting, though, is this is one of only three years where we have three nominees and Best Supporting Actor. This is the first of three years, I should say. What's cool about that is the other two years are 1972 and 1974 for The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Both of those movies had three Best Supporting Actor nominees as well. Godfather didn't walk away with any of the wins, but Godfather 2 did for Robert De Niro, obviously. Uh, I think it's kind of an interesting little Oscar trivia for you. But moving to Best Supporting Actress, shall we? I think... I feel like for me, this would be the category that is the easiest one to break apart. I don't think anyone was going to win this award other than Eva Marie Saint and On the Waterfront. Well, you know, Eva Marie Saint, she is also, uh, this is, I mean, she's the lead female in this movie. Yes. You know, she has a very heavy supporting part. She's in like half the film. Um and so automatically she has an advantage probably on everybody else in the category because she's given a lot more to do. Um, but just like if she gives one of the defining, one of the best screen debut performances, you know, she, it's her first movie. She had only done theater before this and television um, during the days of live TV, she was doing television and then she just breaks onto the scene with this incredible performance as the girl and on the waterfront, mm-hmm. um, the girl with the glove, the girl um, with the glove. I want to know who killed my brother. <laughs> That's my Eva Marie Saint impression. <laughs> I, why does it sound like Jimmy Stewart playing <laughs> Eva Marie Saint? Um, That's a fair but, question. But anyway, and I love that. Um, I love that she uh, she's she's over thirty. She is thirty when she makes her screen debut, you know. And um, and she's this, you know, comes from the school of method acting, the Actors Studio. Um, and so she, I just like that she's like defying so many standards from the onset by being thirty years old already by being um of the actor's studio uh one of the first actresses to really come from that because but up until this point we've been talking a lot about the actors that came from that movement she's one of the first really prominent actresses to come from that movement and um while she's never necessarily like a huge movie star um she does end up being a leading actress throughout the 50s and 60s um, and of course, stars in uh, one of the best Hitchcock movies ever made, uh, North by Northwest. Um, uh, and she's with your boy Montgomery Clift in the movie where his his face gets disfigured. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> um, Raintree County, but uh, and the and she has continued. She she was in movies into the last decade. Um, she is with us, knock on wood. Um, she is currently 96 years old. Uh, she actually, um, she spoke at the TCM Film Festival a couple of years ago. Um, I think she was 93 at the time. She was born on July the 4th, interesting. Um, 
And uh, I was uh, the talent escort for Ben Mankiewicz, who's the host of TCM. And he he's like buddy buddy with Eve Marie because he's done a, a bunch of interviews with her at this point. And um, after he wraps up, I just kind of say something like, I really want a picture. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, and so he's like, OK, come on, come on, come on. Um, and so I go up and he, he asks her and she's like, oh, sure. Yeah. And so we like, you know, do the awkward thing, take a couple photos. And then like she's talking to me and asks me something about myself. I don't know what I do for a living or something. And um, and then I uh, I look at the pictures and she's like, what's what's wrong? You don't like them, do you? And I'm like. Well, I mean, they're they're fine. She was like, I don't know. Let me let me see. And I show her, and she's like, "You look really nervous. Why do you look so nervous?" <laughs> and and I uh, and I said, uh, "Well, I mean, like, I, I'm meeting you." <laughs> yeah. And she's like, "Okay, let's um, let's take a moment." And she hand, we hand the phone back to the guy who's taking the picture. She's like, "Don't take a picture yet." All right. Let's center. <laughs> and um and then she like gives me this whole like actor studio style exercise to relax myself for the photo oh wow and then we take and then we take the picture and it was much better plus there was one that somebody took before she thought we were ready to take a put the pic and it's on it's on my facebook page for whoever's (laughs) friends with me um and she um she's like throwing her hand up like stop it and i'm just laughing (laughs) Anyway, we ended up having a whole moment. Um, but she has one of the great Oscar speeches, too. She uh, was very pregnant, like basically nine months pregnant yeah. when she um, won the Oscar. And she went up to the stage to accept the award and said, I may just have the baby right here. <laughs> Can you imagine? Was this also, I feel like this is one of the first times we had a pregnant um winner right was this the first case or was there one before i would this? imagine this is the first time that i mean it was definitely the first time it was televised if there was one um definitely the first winner who was this noticeably pregnant i can't yeah. think of another one honestly um can you i can either i can just think of some ones that have happened more recently like meryl for sophie's choice and Catherine zeta jones oh, in chicago right. but before this is i can't think Meryl's of wearing that like Afghan thing? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like a muumuu? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just it's such a pretty her outfit for the Kramer versus Kramer award is amazing. Yes. Um, but her Sophie's Choice Oscar is it, just a very 80s outfit. I'm not I'm not a fan. It's a choice, that's for sure. Let's also get to the other slam dunk here. Yes. Um best actor. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty stacked category, I will say. It really um, is. Because we got Humphrey Bogart uh, for the Kane Mutiny, which, to be fair, probably would be a more acceptable win than <laughs> African Queen. Yes. Um, Bing Crosby for the Country Girl, uh, James Mason and A Star Is Born, and uh, Dan O'Hurley for Robinson Caruso, which he plays Robinson Caruso, and so he's uh, he's not so well known, but. Um, but Marlon Brando at this point has been around in Hollywood for a for for a few years, um, and it's been three years since he broke out with um, Streetcar, and so people are a little bit more adjusted to him 
and he has now gotten four nominations in a row. Yes, which so is going to win. And that is the record for lead actor four yeah. in a row is a record, and it still is. I think that was, yeah, pretty set in stone. Although it was funny, I was doing some reading on this ceremony, and a lot of people actually predicted Bing Crosby to win Best Actor. And I think it's because this is kind of a rematch back, you know, from 1951 with the African Queen and um, A Streetcar Named Desire duking mm-hmm. it out for Best Actor between Bogart and Brando. Here we have it again in 1954, and I think people thought... Um, Bogart and Brando were going to split the vote again, and Bing Crosby would come through for one of his um, more dramatic performances. Well, I mean, it was a different... Um, it's it's the Bing Crosby performance that I like the most. Me too. Um, and, uh, and he's really, really good in the movie. Um, you know, he takes... Uh, he he has you know in most of his movies it's it's um he's doing something that probably isn't very hard for him he's just kind of playing himself yeah and you know he's an appealing personality and has a nice voice and so you know he doesn't he doesn't have to do a lot to be entertaining let's just put it that way True. um but it's great to see him really stretch the acting muscle and show that there's more to him um so he's he's really good in the country girl but Marlon Brando I mean, like, it's just one of the great performances, you know, and the quote that everyone's heard, whether they realize it or not, you know, um, you have to understand, I could have had class, I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. Yeah, it's iconic, which there's been so many rumors and there's, you know, a lot of myths out there that that was entirely improvised. It was not. That is in the script, everybody. Brando's good, but he's not that good. And I mean, speaking of the glove, like um, there, the whole scene with him and even Marie Saint with the glove, they that was improvised. She dropped the glove. He picked it up and then he toyed with it. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And then she spent the rest of the scene like trying to get it back from him, but it it, it like did such a it's such a great little character building moment. Um, before we talk about the really controversial decision, um, I looked at the honorary awards for this year, and I thought it was interesting. Danny Kaye got one, which we've talked about Danny Kaye before, yep. but uh, Greta Garbo got one for her unforgettable screen performances she did not show up at the ceremony i just <laughs> she wanted probably to probably didn't that. even take the oscar she was like whatever <laughs> donate it she was like i don't care <laughs> um also uh, best actor this year was uh presented by betty davis Ugh. um wearing the most I- glorious like ornamental hat anybody has ever worn to the oscars <laughs> it's such a strange little outfit. She's wearing this like ball gown and a weird hat. And the hat is covering her head because at the time she was filming a movie called The Virgin Queen. And The Virgin Queen um, is about Queen Elizabeth I. And both times that Betty Davis played Queen Elizabeth I, because she did it twice, she shaved her eyebrows and um, part of her hairline. So she could get um, the accurate balding effect uh, that apparently the the real Queen Elizabeth had. Um, so um, because what she was because she was that committed. Um, What's interesting was, about that, I'll say, uh, having uh, Betty Davis 
present for Marlon Brando. Who's a big fan of Marlon Brando, too. Yeah. Big fan. And it makes sense because she holds the record for Best Actress nominations in a row, and Brando holds the record for Best Actor. And also, this is the first time an actor or an actress would win the Oscar, the Globe, and the BAFTA, all for the same performance. Brando was the first one to do that. And now, you know, if we look at, as we're trying to um, predict who wins, you know, the Oscars in our current years, we usually use those three as kind of a precursor award, along with the the SAG award. Uh, You know, if you win all three or all four of them, it's pretty obvious you're going to win the Oscar. And he was the first one to do that. So what most people talk about when they talk about the 1954 Oscars um, is the Best Actress category. Um, The Best Actress category has uh, five women who are pretty big in film history in their own right. Um, Audrey Hepburn is here again playing Sabrina. I think this is a nice to be nominated situation. She's perfectly yeah. fine in the movie. It's I her it's just like nothing compared to the role she had in Roman Holiday. So that's not going to happen here. Uh, Jane Wyman is here again. Again, she gave her best performance ever for Johnny Belinda. It's unlikely that she's going to get another one unless she tops that. Dorothy Dandridge is nominated. She's the first African-American woman uh, nominated in the Best Actress category. Um, And unfortunately, because of the time, the nomination was probably as far as she was going to get. Um, just because of how things were at the time. And the conversation also was not centering around her at this point in time. Although I will say Carmen Jones is a very interesting, colorful movie. Um, Like, it's like, um, it's so bright and there's so much pink and um, and blues and uh, it's operatic. um, And it's just, it's just a very, it's Otto Preminger. Mm. Um, who you don't think of as making musicals, but it's 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 an opera because it's there's no dialogue; it's only singing, and um, and that's Dorothy just Dan- super impressive. <laughs> yeah, and Dorothy Dandridge was is with Harry Belafonte, who's beautiful, by the way, um, and uh, it's just like it's it's a very artistic movie, and um, the way that the way that Otto Preminger makes it is very interesting. And it is also uh, impressive for a movie of its time uh, to have an entirely black cast, you know, definitely. Uh This is a a trailblazing film and performance for later nominees like Whoopi Goldberg, Halle Berry. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a very important nomination. This is, um, this is a very, it's a, it's a very, it's, I recommend watching it. So then we have Judy Garland, in A Star is Born, the remake of A Star is Born, uh, based on, I believe, mine and Sam's favorite version of the film. Yes. Uh, with Frederick Marchand and uh, Janet Gaynor. Um, this version is taking the exact same story, uh, pretty much beat for beat, but expanding it and turning it into a musical. The story behind the movie is basically like Judy Garland with her then-husband, Sid Luft, um, who's the father of her daughter, Lorna, and her son, Joey. Um, This was their pet project. They went to Warner Brothers to make it. The movie ran fantastically over budget. Uh, George Cukor directed it. Um, The production drowned on for like a year, 
And then the movie was super, super long. And so after the premiere, Jack Warner cut the film so that they could get more screenings per day into the theaters. And that footage was largely considered to be lost until a good chunk of it was found. And the movie was reassembled in the 80s for a restoration that included um, some audio tracks with uh, stills to help bridge the gap in the missing footage. So it's impossible to watch A Star is Born anymore in its original form. Um, but unless somebody has a print somewhere that they're holding on to and haven't said anything about. <laughs> but for me, <sighs> <laughs> uh, yes, I love the 1937 A Star is Born. I think it is a very good movie. It's under two hours long. And it gets, it has really good performances. But it also, it just is so, um, it clips along really well. Yes. And it's well paced. Um, it's also an early Technicolor movie. It's an interesting little film. I highly recommend it. The Judy Garland version has some really great scenes, and Judy does give an absolutely balls-to-the-walls, amazing performance. Mm -hmm. I do not care for the film. I find it very slow. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I also think that both Judy Garland and James Mason give great performances, but I do not buy them as a romantic item. Mm, I see I that. Don't, I don't, it, it feels like their romance kind of happens out of nowhere for me. Yeah. And I think the movie also suffers from the fact that its best scene is in the first like 30 minutes, which is when she sings The Man That Got Away. Yes. Which was nominated for best original song. It's a great song. And that yes. scene is, it's a one shot of her singing it yep. just with a band in the middle of a, of a, like a bar or something. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's a tour de force. It is. It is great. It may be that, her best moment on film. That well, And I also say toward the end when she breaks down in the dressing room crying, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, when she's not singing and she is just acting, I think that scene is absolutely heartbreaking. And I think that that moment right there, might be the best acted moment of that character in any of the Stars Born movies. Yes. Do you know what I, I mean? I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yes, I think what Judy Garland does in that scene is heartbreaking. I think that, you know, when she says, like, I just hate him. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, I think... I think it's... It, I think it's a problem for me of a great performance stuck in a an okay movie. Sure. Do you think, I'm curious, um, I wish that I could find a print of the shortened version. I'm curious. Me if, too. If that clips along at a better pace, you know, compared for to, me, to I want, earlier. I feel like it's the pacing that I have mm. such a huge problem with. Yes. And the songs, and there's so many, they're so long. There's that one song that is just so long. Born in oh, yeah, That's what it is, right? Yeah. It's so long. And it's like, get through it. Come on. <laughs> Because there's sometimes that I think that maybe the producers are right. Yes. And maybe it should be a shorter movie. You know what I'm saying? 
Ah, uh, you know, so, exactly. That's why I would be curious to um, discover the shortened version, just to compare the two. It did not get a Best Picture or a Best Director nomination, might I point out. Um, but I, um, and I certainly hope it didn't get Best Film Editing. Okay. No, no, I don't think so. No. Um, but I do not think, I do not think that it is as big a travesty as other people do, just because the movie is not as good as the performance. True. And I also say, you know, since this is a musical, Judy Garland musical, and it was nominated, obviously, for song and score, it lost both of those. I think that was kind of a, an initial warning, maybe earlier on the ceremony, that things were not going to go Judy Garland's way when, um, when A Star is Born loses to other musicals, Three Coins in the Fountain and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You know, two musicals that don't have as much weight today as they maybe did back in 1954. Although I will say also, Seven, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Brothers is, is great. It's a, a much better musical than it's great. <laughs> but let's we'll get to that when we get to Best Picture. But, we will, we will. And I am 100% on board with it having a Best Picture nomination. Me I just want to throw that. <laughs> uh, me too, me too, me too. Um, um but uh we got to talk about Grace. We do. I think, okay, first of all, Grace Kelly plays uh, someone, first of all, who's dowdy in the country. <laughs> Let's just get our heads around that. But um, Grace Kelly, I think, 1954 is Grace Kelly's year. Oh, yeah. She has this, and she has two Hitchcock movies, Dial in for Murder and Rear Window. She is great in all of them. They are all great movies. She is, I mean, like, just imagine for a second, put yourself in 1954 Imagine that this actress that was previously had only appeared in a couple movies to this point, High Noon, Magambo, and then suddenly she's in three huge hit films. She's great in all of them. All of them are great movies. I mean, like, oh yeah. If you look at it that way, this makes tons of sense. She is the ultimate definition of America's sweetheart. You know. And, like, also that definition of the young ingenue who um, had an early nomination and then was propelled into stardom because she's gorgeous, she can act, um, and, you know, kind of like a Jennifer Lawrence. And The Country Girl, which is about um, alcoholism. Yes. And she is um, the, the wife. wife. yes, of yeah. an alcoholic. Um, she, she's great. She's really great. In this movie, she's very different than she is in Rear Window. She's very different than she is in Dial for Murder or High Noon. Yes. She is, she gives a, a really great performance that is against type for her as well. Um, yeah, I will say of of the three films she was in this year, I think this is her best performance, but well, I don't think. challenging. Yes, it's, all, yeah. Yeah, it's also the biggest, but I will say the better movie is probably Rear Window. I do think the Rear Window should have been girl, for best picture absolutely um and maybe even jimmy stewart for a lead actor nomination i could throw that in there too but um i find uh why isn't thelma ritter nominated for supporting actress (laughs) i was nominated for everything how is she not nominated for rear window anyway sorry (laughs) and she was even hosting come on (laughs) i know anyway no but i do think that there are uh the country girl can sway into melodrama very easily and not like the fun melodrama where you're like in it kind of like the boring melodrama but i'll say that kind of slides more toward the bing crosby aspect of things i think grace kelly does kind of hold her own this film i don't know i'm, I'm i have to disagree with you rance i do think 
I think this should have been Judy Garland's Oscar. I do think okay. so. Okay, I'm not. That doesn't upset me. <laughs> Fair. Like, um, because I, I really do think Judy Garland gives a great performance. I just don't. I, I find it such a hard watch for me. That's fair. No, and I totally understand. And, you know, I'm usually the one who's like, ugh, bad movie. You should not win an Oscar for it. But I think both of these movies can kind of, they have their their highs and their very, very low, low, low points. Um, but it's Judy Garland. And while they're I... They're both about alcoholism, too. And they are right. both about... And they're both about this the wives of two different women playing wives of alcoholics. I mean, like... Wow, I never yeah. even thought about that. That's yeah, so I know. true. I mean, Judy gets nominated again for Judgment at Nuremberg, which is a very fine little supporting performance. But... But it's... She's up against... against yes, but she's up no, against somebody she's else. up against Rita Moreno for West Side Story. And when we get to that, <laughs> I'm so sorry... Nobody, Rita Moreno gives maybe the defining best supporting actress performance of all time. That's all. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, um, but I do, you know, I want Judy to have a competitive Oscar. And I do. The I fact do. that okay. this is for a musical. And I'll let you do this. Do you know, I just, I do think. And the fact that, like, she was um, in a hospital recovering from giving birth and she was ready. Yes. And you know, the press had arrived. They were ready for her to win. They had a live camera. They were ready to give, she was ready to give a speech remotely. It's a very sad story. I I feel like I'm in a place where I would have been happy. I, I, where I'm I'm not upset with the way things turned out. Yeah. But I, I do, I do. I wish Judy had a competitive Oscar. But I also think yeah. that there are other performances that Judy Garland should have probably been nominated for because I think that Judy was in what was viewed as a popcorn genre, all the musicals that she made. And I think that what she did in the 40s, uh, she made it look so easy. Yes, you know? my God. And she was probably giving 20 times, putting in 20 times the work that some dramatic performances take. Um, but she never really got the recognition for doing what she did so well. Yeah. And so part of me, part of me wishes that she could have an Oscar for a Meet Me in St. Louis or a, um, or Summerstock or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like she, um, I feel like they don't nominate those types of things because they're fluffy. But I yeah. do think the performance aspect is, is not easy. So Definitely. it's, it's kind of sad that she was never nominated for other things so i mean like yes this is the best chance to give her an oscar of course if she wins this one grace kelly probably doesn't get one at all because she goes off and she becomes the queen of monaco very very princess. soon after princess you're right sir. princess princess of monaco princess very princess soon afterward <laughs> but yeah i agree with you I, i'm happy with either two i love grace kelly having an oscar and i do love this movie when i was in um college i did an entire directing thesis on the play of a country girl i love the story um, and I am a country girl. <laughs> oh, I relate to her so well. That takes us to the big ones. We've um, come to the final awards. Yes, direction and picture, which normally, you know, go hand in hand nominee wise. But this is a very strange year. year. Second year in a row that this has been a thing, too. Because mm-hmm. for some reason, um, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Three Coins in a Fountain are in the picture race. They are not in the director race where we have uh, Sabrina, uh, Rear Window, and The High and the Mighty. Um, wait, what's the other one that's not there? Kane the Kane Mutiny yeah. isn't nominated for director either. That's so 
interesting to me. You, that's Very. three different movies. Um, I'm just going to say it from the onset. I haven't seen this all the way through, to be fair, but Three Coins and a Fountain shouldn't be in the Best Picture race. Um, Never and, seen. The only thing that I know about that movie is during the film Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and um, John Candy. Steve Martin sings the title song as they're riding on a bus, and everyone looks at him like, what the hell are you singing? Yes. That's kind of what I feel about the whole movie. What the hell is this movie? <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it's fine. It's just fluffy. Um, uh, Billy Wilder um, for Sabrina. Uh, okay, here's where I'm going to make a controversial decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Wilder is one of my favorite directors of all time. Sabrina yeah. is not my favorite Billy Wilder movie. By no means. I am throwing out his nomination. Please do. Gone. And giving that one to Stanley Donnan for Seven Brides Time. <laughs> yes. Okay, I agree with that. I mean, Stanley Donnan was never nominated for Best Director. He got an he honorary was a great award. Director. He was great. a great director, too. He made a variety of different types of movies. And the thing that's interesting about Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is it was like the B movie. There were two different MGM musicals set up for that year, this and Brigadoon with uh, Gene Kelly. Sure. Um, and Gene Kelly, up until that point, had been partners with Stanley Donnan. And this is where they kind of split, which led to some bad blood between the two of them, um, because uh, Stanley Donnan got the opportunity to make his own movie, basically. And he took this B-level budget movie, Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, and made this energetic, super fun movie that I would argue has the best dance scene Ever. Yes, because their dancing is it's so character driven and it's so fun. And like, it's I've, something. It's it about is. something. You yes. know? The dancing isn't there, it doesn't stop the story. It progresses this whole dynamic. Yes. Um, with the brothers and then their eventual brides <laughs> who they will kidnap. <laughs> and yes, Stockholm syndrome maybe is part of this. It is but, just the um, strangest like plot for a musical. It, it should work, work, but it but works so well. Reason, it also, very importantly, has uh, none other than Miss Julie Newmar, who, playing Dorcas, one of the <laughs> um, brides, uh, the tall one, um, and Julie Newmar not only would later become Catwoman on the 60s TV series Batman, she also would be the namesake of a of a gay classic called uh, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. There we um, go. And makes a cameo at the end of that movie. Um, and she also is the reason that gas leaf blowers are banned in Los Angeles County. <laughs> wow. There you <laughs> so, go. Yes. Legacy. So, I mean, just a legend all around. Um and yes, it's a it's a great little movie. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, I have not seen The High and the Mighty. No, I haven't either. But William Wellman, this is we let's take us way back, everybody. He directed Wings, which was the first Best Picture winner, and also directed A Star Is Born, the original 1937. And that's the only Oscar he has because he's he wrote the story for that and he won a Writing Academy Award. But here he is back again for Best Director, so many years later. And I, I mean, like the thing is, uh, the only competition that Elia Kazan would have in this category is Hitchcock for Rear Window. And I want that to be in the best picture race, too. Oh, absolutely. 
but because Rear Window, I think, is a perfect film. Yes, I mean, especially direction-wise, what Hitchcock does and how he creates that suspense with, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character being uh, in a wheelchair and he's just staring at his window and the, I mean, everything. It's just brilliant. It's such a great suspense film. I mean, like, it's kind of, it's again an apples and oranges situation because they're both great movies. They're both very different movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And the directing challenges for each of them is unique. On the Waterfront has so much location um footage and is uh, a very it, it works with the actors in a very fluid way that um requires a certain type of Elia Kazan <laughs> direction <laughs> you know but then Hitchcock uh does Rear Window and it's all about the masterful control yes. that he has over what you see and when and how and how you interpret it and yeah, it's kind um, of like it's like a a director's movie, Rear Window, versus an actor's film on the waterfront. I think ideally for me, I would have given Hitchcock director and on the waterfront picture. I can I see that, and I would okay. have split it. Plus, I want Hitchcock to have an Oscar, and it's oh sad that he gosh. never won a competitive Oscar. Plus, I also have feelings about Eli Kazan, which I'll get to in a second. Yes, I have feelings about this too. This is such an interesting, interesting win. You know, we've been talking the last few years about the McCarthyism and the House of Un-American, well, the House of Un-American Activities Committee, which was going on before this and how Eli Kazan named names when he testified, which, you know, pissed off a lot of people in the industry because basically Eli Kazan just wanted to save his career. He wanted to keep directing. And On the Waterfront is basically his statement to all of his naysayers in validating his choice to name names uh, for Senator Joe McCarthy. Yes, um, which is where this becomes... Uh... Like, here's this great movie that says why you should name names. <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's okay, here's what I will say. There's some brilliance in that, though, because, you know, when Columbia was going to make On the Waterfront, they, I mean, initially, Arthur Miller, who was friends with Eli Kazan before he named names, they were best friends, he um, wrote the first draft of On the Waterfront. But when Paramount read it, they said, can you please change these, um, these longshoremen, these union bosses, into communists and of course arthur miller said absolutely not i want no part of this anymore and what's funny is harry Cohn sent him a message saying it's interesting arthur miller that you decided to leave the project once we started to make it pro-american but Eli kazan yes he uses this to validate his own naming names but he does it in a very um i don't know tricky feisty way i guess where we we agree with the movie because Marlon Brando is fighting against corruption in unions and the workforce, which is you know completely separate from fighting corruption within anti-communism in the movie industry. Yes. But he brings those two together to get you to be on his side. But the argument that the movie is making, which I think Elia Kazan thinks is justifying his own choices, is just a completely separate and not equal argument. So ultimately, exactly. it's like, it's <laughs> like okay, you can try to relate these two things, but it's just not, it's not the same. Sorry, Elia. It's not the same thing. Um, like, here's my question for you. I was, I'm very curious to hear your opinion on this, Rands. Do you think he deserves to be 
I guess, um, uh, forgiven, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, I don't, the thing is, well, the On the Waterfront Oscar technically goes to Sam Spiegel mm. for producing it. For picture, right. So I think I feel better giving best picture to the movie and not best director. That would have been my personal decision. That is exactly how I feel. Um, Elia Gazan already has an Oscar. Sure does. Uh, so... And in later years, too, Marlon Brando went on record in saying that he wished he hadn't done this film because he felt like he was just a puppet in Elie Kazan's ploy to getting America back on his side, you know, which I think is just so sad because within this film, there are just beautiful performances, strong, just strong, strong themes of, you know, being the underdog and trying to fight for what's right. And it's just a shame that... Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's just such a complicated thing to talk about, you know. Uh, he's responsible for so much great cinema. It's just a shame that there's this huge asterisk. And even in 1999, was it, whenever he was given his honorary award, half of the audience stood up and half of them sat down and didn't clap. It just shows you how divisive he still is even today. Yeah. You know, and I will say this, though. I think, yeah, I think, you know, we do need to credit Eli Kazan with really bringing in this realism to films. He really took what what the Italians were doing with their neorealistic movement in the 40s, and he brought it to Hollywood with, I think, especially on the waterfront. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) You're right. You're right, Sam. You're right. (laughs) It's very interesting. It's very interesting because I think it is one of the greatest American films ever made. But the fact that it's made by one of America's, especially in the film industry, one of the film industry's biggest traitors is just such a weird dichotomy. Yeah, it is. But that's part of what makes all of this so fascinating, isn't it? Very true. Okay. So that was uh, the great year, the 27th Academy Awards Yes, yes, yes. What's going to be happening next week, Sam? You usually ask me, but I'm going to ask you. I do. Okay, I'm (laughs) going to tell you and everybody else. Next year is 1955, and the Best Picture winner was Marty. And I have to say, this is one of the best movies. It really is. I watched this movie a while back, and I was so surprised and shocked by how much I loved it. And it's like a clean 90 minutes. The performances are so cute and so genuine. Um, and I don't think you've seen it, right? Uh, right. I have not. This is going to be my first time. I'm so excited for you to watch it. Okay, I, I'm excited. Are you? I'm so excited. So please everybody watch Marty before next week and you'll be able to follow along better. See you next week.